Isaiah chapter number 61 is where we are looking today. We will begin verse number 1 this morning. First four verses of these, this chapter here today. Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, planning of the Lord that He may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall... Raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. Amen. The word of the Lord this morning. You know, you can almost picture the the scene like it was out of a movie. Synagogue worshipers are gathering on the Sabbath. In walks Jesus and His disciples. Leaders recognize Him, of course, as a rabbi. And so they invite Him to to share, to read from the scrolls, to share with Him a word, if you would. Jesus asks for the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and He reads the very portion that we have read for you this morning. And then he pauses. Again, I don't know if there's some kind of background music here building up the scene. Luke records that he rolled the scroll back up and he gave it to the attendant and sat down. And Luke says the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. That is, they were intently Staring at Jesus. No doubt they were expecting some enlightenment as to who this Messiah might be. As to what Jesus might say about this Messiah. They knew these scriptures. They knew these words. They knew Isaiah was speaking about the one who was to come. This Messiah that they had been looking for. They're looking for some enlightenment as to who this might be. Instead, what they heard shocked them, surprised them, stunned them, if you would. Jesus says in Luke 4, 21, He began to say to them, Today, today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Again, the shock, the surprise. The outrage that ensues as you read through Luke that some were outraged when he made this statement. 
Jesus in saying this scripture is fulfilled is making a very, very profound statement. And he is telling them that this scripture is being fulfilled. This is more than just an ordinary fulfillment. This is a fulfillment saying, I am the Messiah. You see, Jesus in making this statement makes three, three statements. First, he tells us who he is. Secondly, he tells us what he came to do. Third, he tells us the results, response to his coming. And this is what we're going to look at today. Jesus tells us, first of all, who he is. Jesus tells us who he is. Now, in order to fully understand what is happening in this passage, we really need to back up to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59, beginning in verse number 1, prophet writes these words, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But then Isaiah says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Verse 3, Your hands are defiled, with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. And you go on in Isaiah 59 and you read the many offenses the nation has committed that has separated it from God. The many offenses that the people of Israel, the people of Judah have done that have caused God's presence to lead them. And this separation to occur within their relationship. And then we get to verse 15 of 59. We read these words, Truth is lacking. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased Him that there was no justice. And then in verse 16, He saw that there was no man. He wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then His own arm brought Him salvation, and His righteousness upheld Him. Again, the Lord is recounting all of the offenses of the people of Israel against God. And then He finishes up there and says, truth is lacking and, and the one who departs from evil actually becomes a prey to all the rest of the nation. They, they all pounce on Him because He wants to do right. The Lord sees all this and He is displeased. And He sees that there is no one who is going to intercede for the nation. So what does God do? His own arm brings Him salvation. His own righteousness upholds Him. In other words, God looks all around and He sees that there is no one in the land of Judah and the land of Israel that can bring salvation to these people who have strayed. God says, I will do it myself. I will bring that salvation. I will bring that deliverance. 
And then you go down to verse 21 of chapter 59 and we read these words, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring, out of the mouth of your children's children, says the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You see these words, my spirit is upon you, are the same words that we read, not just here in 59, but also in chapters 42 and 48, and especially in chapter number 11 of Isaiah, which reads these words, There shall come forth a fruit from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so again, you see where Isaiah is prophesying here, especially in chapter 11, that the the root of the shoot is going to come from the stump of Jesse. The branch is going to come. The people of Israel understood that this was a messianic prophecy. And Isaiah says that the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding is going to be upon this one who is coming. They understood that this was a messianic prophecy. And so when Isaiah prophesies in chapter 61 that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, they realize, they understand again, that, that Isaiah is speaking of this messianic person. And so when Jesus says to them, this day this Scripture is fulfilled, He is making a claim that He is the One. He is the prophesied one. He is the one that the Jewish people have been looking for. He is their Messiah. This is no ordinary statement. This is no, I resemble that or I kind of look like that or whatever. Jesus on that Sabbath day, there in Nazareth in his own hometown, stands up and says, look no further. I am the Messiah. You see, this is a question the Jewish people had to answer. It's a question you have to answer. It's a question that everyone has to answer throughout all of human history. Every person who has ever lived, who is alive, or is ever going to be born, that is this question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? See another line of false teachers that we ought to discard and disregard? See another great teacher like Muhammad or Buddha or somebody else that you want to fill in and just, just one of many great teachers of religion? Who do you say Jesus is? C.S. Lewis spoke about this in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. Man who is merely a man 
said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Lewis does immense words. As he makes this argument, he concludes either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You see, it is true that Jesus gave great moral teachings. We know that. The Sermon on the Mount gives us a great way to live. To love your neighbor. To do unto them as you would have them to do unto you. To give to bless those who persecute you. These are all great teachings. These are all great things, but but it's not the fact that Jesus was a great moral teacher that matters and makes the difference. The fact that Jesus claimed to be God incarnate, God in the flesh, He claimed equality with God. This is what makes the difference. And you and I have to answer that question. Do we believe? Do we understand? Do we see Jesus as in fact God Himself? God made flesh. The world doesn't want to recognize that. You know, the world really isn't against people being religious. Religion is by and far a good thing. They don't want People being irreligious necessarily. But it's when you come and you say, no, I believe that Jesus is God and therefore His teachings matter because He is God and He has the right to tell us how to live. That's that's when it gets to where the rubber meets the road. When Jesus is not God, you can either... Choose to accept this teaching or you can deny it. You can mix and match what you want to do. But if Jesus is God, then guess what? You have no claim over your life. He has authority. His word is law. His word matters. And that is where our world has such an issue. They don't want to accept that. But when Jesus stood there in front of the synagogue, He told them on that day, I am in fact your Messiah. Today, He stands here and He tells this world, I am the King of kings. I am the Lord of lords. I am the one that you must listen to. I am the one that you must follow. We ask ourselves this question, have we accepted? Believe this word, Jesus, John 14, stands there and He tells His disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for them. And if I go and prepare this place, I will come again and receive them to Myself. Philip says, Lord, show us the way. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and Philip says, show us the Father, and that will be good enough for us. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus says to Philip, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I and the Father are one. We are the same. We are equal. We are one with each other. See, that's why this season matters. That's why this time of year is so special because this is not an ordinary person. This is, in fact, God made flesh, the incarnate Son of God, the one who came and lived His life in our place and died for our sins. Jesus tells us on a day who He is. And secondly, He tells us. He tells us what He came to do. He tells us what He, what he came to do. Reading from this passage on that day, Jesus declares to the world, He is indeed the Messiah. He is the promised one. But he doesn't just proclaim it in his words, but in his actions as well. He demonstrates that he is the promised one of Israel. Look at verse 1 again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison, to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who are, or all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Planning of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Three components to the ministry of the one who has come. First of all, the ministry of comfort in verses 1 and 2, He has sent me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to the downtrodden and disadvantaged, the one who are helpless in and of themselves and at the mercy of the powerful. Jesus has come to bring comfort to them. We talked about that last week again, where the prophet says, comfort, comfort my people. Bring strength, be encouragement. Bring courage to the ones who find themselves oppressed. There is one who has come alongside of them. Bind the brokenhearted, those in any and every human condition, find themselves broken down, emotional, psychological, whatever it is to those who are convicted and condemned by their sins, to those who feel the bondage and weight of their sin and it's breaking their heart, there has come a Messiah to bind your broken heart. Claim liberty to the captives, opening of prisons, to those who are bound, the setting free of slaves, the prisoners, of those who do not have liberty, but at the mercy of someone else, Christ has come to set them free. Beginning of verse 2, he uses this word proclaim again, emphasizing. Isaiah is discussing 
The same thing from a different point of view where the opening of the prisons would emphasize the human perspective. The favorable year the Lord proclaims the divine perspective. God has again brought hope to this world. God is pleased with men to dwell. Jesus is our Emmanuel. That's why the herald angels sing glory. Glory to the newborn King. God is the one who comes and brings comfort to His people. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, lives were being comforted, lives were being touched, lives were being transformed by the power of what Christ came to do. Disciples of John come to Jesus, say, hey, our guy's in prison. He's in prison. He's afraid he's going to be executed for preaching about you. Can you can you just remind us one more time? Are you really that one? Are you really the Messiah? I mean, after all, losing your head in favor of someone who's just an ordinary guy is not exactly a preferable way to take. I mean, I'm not in favor of being beheaded for any reason, but Especially if I'm, I'm living a lie. Especially if I've been teaching a lie. Luke records this encounter this way. Luke 7.21, in that hour He healed. He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who are blind, He bestowed sight. Jesus answers John's disciples with these words. He answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. Blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, Jesus is telling the disciples of John, Go and tell them. Go and show them what you have seen. This is what the gospel does. This is what Jesus does. This is what the Messiah has come to do. He has come to bring comfort to those who are found to be in places of despair and hopelessness. Only our God can do that for you. By the way, His mission has not changed. His mission has not changed one bit at all. He is still opening the doors of prisoners. He is still bringing comfort to those who are downtrodden and depressed and discouraged. And if that is you today, I want you to know God has sent His Son to heal your broken heart, to bind up your spirit that has been crushed, to set you free from the prison that you are in. Messiah brings comfort. But the end of the second verse also tells us He brings the day of vengeance. The day of vengeance of our God. Yes, it is true that God brings comfort to those who are brokenhearted, to those who are downtrodden and oppressed, but for those who reject Him. The Messiah will bring judgment justice. You cannot escape this reality. You cannot get away from the fact that if you reject Christ, if you refuse His offer of salvation, there is a certain day, a certain looking forward to the day of judgment. God will avenge those who reckon, 
or who reject His message of salvation. Michael Green states this about the love of God. The love of God does not send anyone to hell. The love of God with arms extended on a cross bars the way to hell. But if that love is ignored, rejected, and finally refused, there comes a time where love can only weep. Well, man pushes past into the self-chosen alienation which Christ went to the cross to avert. If you reject God, if you reject His claim and offer of salvation in your life, if you choose to reject His mercy and His grace in His life, you will not stand before God and say, why did you not give me a chance? Heaven show us that there is a God. The gospel being preached to you week after week reminds you there is a God who loves you. But if you push Him away, if you decide, I don't want to accept His claim of lordship on my life, then He will have no choice. Proclaim His vengeance over your life as you are punished for your failure to accept Him as your Savior. It's not just the message of gloom and doom. The Messiah will comfort, the Messiah will judge, and the Messiah will transform. Verse 3 tells us, To those who mourn in Zion, God will comfort. He will put on a beautiful headdress to those who are clothed in ashes. He will put on the oil of gladness. He will put on the garment of praise instead of mourning and a faint spirit. All of these changes in clothing represent the change that takes place in the lives of those who turn to their Messiah. All throughout Scripture we see where people tear their garments and they put on the sackcloth and ashes. Job tore his garments after all these men came and told them about all the destruction that was coming upon him. This is a sign of grief and mourning. But for these coverings of mourning, there is something different, a beautiful headdress, a garment of praise, an oil of gladness for the life that is found in despair. So as the mission of the Messiah, as he walked on earth, in fact, Peter refers to this mission in his sermon given to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, but he says, verse 35, and every nation who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. It's for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. Verse 37 says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism. John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. His mission is to come and change and transform lives. His mission was to come give for you in a place of mourning, in a place of despair, in a place of sorrow. As the song says, He took my sins and my sorrow and He made them His very, very own. 
in the place of your grief, in the place of your pain. He gives you gladness. He gives you joy. He gives you the presence of His Holy Spirit in your life. He has come to bring that change and transformation and renewal in your life. And again, I ask you the question, have you accepted this great God? Have you accepted Him? Have you accepted the one who has come to dwell among us? Is it all just about the nicest decorations and the biggest parties and the fanciest tree and spending countless hours in line at Walmart and Hobby Lobby? Or is it about the fact that when I was lost and undone without God or His Son, He reached down His hand reached down his hand to where I was and he has totally changed my life. There's salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you can be saved. Again, I ask you, have you you accepted that? So the Messiah Jesus, in making a statement, tells us who He is. He tells us the reason He has come. Number three, we see in these verses the result of Jesus' work in our life. The result of Jesus' work in our life. We look again at verse 3 of Isaiah 61. It's come to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Planning of the Lord that He may be glorified. They shall build out, verse 4, the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, devastations of many generations when Christ comes to this earth. He fulfills the first three verses. He preaches the gospel. He heals the sick. He sets those free who are held captive. And then He sends them out to proclaim the good news to those that they would meet. Notice that we are to be strong trees, oaks of righteousness, strong plantings that bear good fruit in our season. And then verse 4, we are to be the builders of ancient ruins restores of former devastations, ones who bring back that which has been destroyed and ruined and trodden down. And we do it all to bring glory to God. The symbolism of being like oaks may communicate how strong, well-rooted, and glorious these righteous people will be. These are the people that God has planted to bring glory to Himself. For all the marvelous things He has done, the purpose of us being here is that one of the main goals of mankind will be to fulfill this joyful responsibility of glorifying God forever. Those who receive God's good news, freedom, comfort, experience and transformation will have many reasons to loudly praise and glorify God's name. Just as Christ has brought salvation that very first Christmas morning, He has called us. 
He has called us to bring change, to bring hope, to bring salvation to a world that is in need. You and I are called to share the news. Preach this good news of salvation. And although we don't use this passage in the way that Jesus did, we are not a Messiah. We don't claim to be the Messiah as we rejoice in His work in our lives, the Spirit of the Lord should rest upon us and we should go out from this place telling each and every one we can, there is hope, there is a Messiah, there is a reason to share the Gospel. There's a reason to bring life and hope in your world. This is according to People, I guess, that know one of the worst times of the year for suicide and depression. The last few years have seen the rates of suicide and depression climb, and especially climbs this time of year. Why? Because so many people, so many people are without hope. So many people are without a reason. They feel the emptiness in their souls. They feel the, the lack of peace and joy in their lives. In the songs that we sung about, there's so many people out there that are filling their lives with everything but the real joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And you and I may sit here and run and do our shopping and fill our home with all kinds of cool decorations and pretty lights and we may fill our front yard with all kinds of cool inflatables and whatever else. But I ask you this morning, is there someone? Is there someone in your life that needs this hope? Is there someone in your life that, that needs this good news? Is there someone that you can tell them, look, you don't have to give up on life. There is purpose. There is meaning. There's a God who loves you so much. I think Bonnie said it so well. How can you even fathom, fathom a God who would love us so much to give His Son to die for us? But that is exactly what He has done. Just as He has done it for you. There's someone else in your life, in your world. That God wants this hope to be given to them. And He wants to use your life, your life to share a message of hope and a message of love, a message of peace. And so we see, we see the outcome of this challenging statement again from Luke 4 that we read in the beginning. The Scriptures fulfilled. Scriptures fulfilled. Many were angry. They rejected His words. Nailed Him to the cross. They said, Your claims are totally invalid. But many others received Him and their lives were dramatically changed. Changed so greatly. And now all around the world, all around the world, in the world that cannot agree on anything. Much of the world 
celebrates together December 25th. This day. They celebrate this very special day. As they realize that a Savior has come. I challenge you this morning, just as Christ has changed your life, Go out and share the good news. Let someone else know. Prevent, present the gospel to them. Let them know that there is hope for them. There is hope for them. If that's you, first of all, and you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling like you're in a place of despair, I encourage you to come to Jesus today and to know Him and find the hope that you need for your soul. I also encourage you Give that hope to someone else. Then share with them a couple of Christmas cookies. Invite them to a Christmas party, a Christmas dinner. Invite them to church here on Christmas Eve. Let them know there is hope. You don't have to be in despair. God has come to heal your broken heart. He has come to set you free. He has come to change your life. Our God has come to us. Amen. Let's pray together this morning, shall we? Lord, this is the good news. This is the hope that we have. This is the assurance for everyone who will put their faith and trust in you. Lord, you have come to us. You have come and now we worship and give you glory and praise for all that you have done. Our God has come to bring salvation. He has come to bring healing. He has come to bring deliverance. Lord, perhaps there's one here today do not have on that garment of praise. They do not have on the joy of gladness. Lord, they're feeling the grief and despair, the brokenheartedness that has come their way as a result of living in this world. Lord, I pray that today they would know. They would know the joy and the hope. They would know the gladness once again. Lord, their life would be set free from the prison that they find themselves in this morning. They would rejoice in what you have done. Lord, I also pray for my own life and my own heart that God, I would take this good news to someone. Lord, as I go throughout this week that not so be so wrapped up in the hustle and bustle of the season, trying to get this and that and the other that I forget to tell someone, there is hope for you. There is a God who came. There is a Savior who came to set you free and bring salvation and deliverance. Lord, let me share that hope with any and every